But today we are doing, as Pastor Steve talked about, we are doing something different than we have ever done before. Um, We are starting this series called Water for the Way from the Church of the Nazarene that the denomination gives out to pastors all around the world. And we're talking about, and he kind of jumped the gun, we're talking about Lent. And I know that that's probably uh, a a foreign topic to all of us, so let's all go ahead, let's, let's take a deep breath. Let's take a deep breath, all right? We're talking about something we're not used to, um, and let's come into this with an open mind. I got to tell you, we've been doing Advent candles for two years now, so y'all knew that Lent was coming sooner or later. I kind of, I kind of, we kind of eased you into it, though, with the, with the Advent first. And as Pastor Steve said, it wasn't even my idea, so you can't blame me for being the weirdo that's, that's bringing Lent into our church. But you've probably noticed over the last year, maybe, that our services, our, our worship services, and everything that we do on Sunday mornings have changed a little bit. We're reading more scripture. We have somebody every week that comes up after the second song and they read scripture. We end and we'll end today with us saying together a, a benediction. And then we've included these different series and studies that uh, around the practices of Advent. And now we're uh, talking about Lent. And we've made these changes to our service over the last year on purpose. Uh, it's been something that we've done very, very intentionally. And the reason that we've started kind of changing up the way we do things is that we wanted our services to be more interactive. We wanted our services to, to be, have more um, participation. We didn't like, and, and we noticed this kind of after, after 2020, after COVID, when we were all kind of coming back to church, we noticed that church had just become, you, you come in, you walk through the doors, you take a seat, you watch people sing, you hear somebody preach, and then, and then you leave. And instead of that, we wanted church to be this moment in your week where, where you can have it at the same time every single week. You come in, um, you come in, and it's almost this spiritual practice where you are involved with the people of God, that you come in with the community of believers and you are in fellowship, not just with other people, but in fellowship with God. And our hope is that in doing some of these things and, and making it more kind of participatory, our hope is that Sunday mornings become less of an obligation, less of a, oh, I've always done it, so I better just keep going to church on Sundays. And instead, um, it becomes more of this spiritual practice where the Holy Spirit is evident each and every week that you come. We come here to be in fellowship with each other and to be in fellowship with God. And that same spiritual practice that we can make church every Sunday that same kind of spiritual practice and, and doing over and over, year after year, can be the, set, set, uh, the same can be said about the practice of Lent. Got hung in gear there, but that's all right. We'll, we'll shift down and hammer down. We'll get, we'll get through it. It'll be okay. Lent can be this annual spiritual practice that reminds us who we are and what our role is as Christians in the world around us. There's a lot of ideas about Lent right, about what it's supposed to be, what does Lent even mean. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. I had to do some research because, honestly, I didn't know. Uh, But there's also a lot of connotations around that word and that practice, right? Uh, Some of us, when we hear the word Lent, we have certain thoughts pop in our head. Some of those are good. Some of those may be not so good. But Lent is an annual practice of the Christian church as a whole. It's not just for one specific denomination. And it's been a practice 
Since the very early church came together, centuries ago, 2,000 years ago, when the, when the church is just forming, Lent became this, this annual practice. And in the same way that when we talk about Advent um, and when we were lighting those candles, in the same way that lighting those candles each and every week prepared us for Christmas, the 40 days plus Sundays leading up to Lent prepares us for what is coming in just a few short weeks, Easter. The, like Pastor Steve said, the material that we're using comes from the uh, Church of the Nazarene. And I want you to imagine with me this morning, I was, I was so excited when, when kind of planning out this, this message because um, they offer it to church, churches of, uh, church of the Nazarenes, churches all around the world. And in, in all kinds of different languages, it's not just in English, it's in uh, multiple different languages. Every church of the Nazarene has access to this same exact material that we're going to be going through. So as I was preparing this, this message this morning, I kind of got caught up in imagining that every church of the Nazarene around the world is looking at this Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so not only are, are we going on this journey towards Easter, right? Not only are we as a congregation going, uh, going walking towards the cross, but, all, but Christians all around the world are on this exact same journey with us. And I, I felt like that just had a, a special reverence, connecting us not only with the, the people here in this room, but the uh, brothers and sisters all over the world. The passage that, that Corinne, and I want to thank her so much, that she read for us from Genesis 2 and 3 is a perfect place for us to start when we are introducing Lent. Because it's the story that's supposed to be the very first sin, right? The very first sin. And I'll be honest, uh, if, you, if you are in um, our Bible study on Wednesday night, Surprised by Hope, um, we're having a lot of fun in there. But when I, saw, when I saw a couple weeks ago that this was the passage I was going to be turning to, I got uh, a, little, a little annoyed because if, you know, if you've been in that small group, you know I've been giving Hayden a hard time for not leaving the book of Genesis. I told him, the other, I, I told him a couple weeks ago in there, I said, you've been studying the Bible for 28 years and you haven't made it past Genesis chapter 3. And then the next week, I open up this material and what am I preaching on? Genesis chapter 2 and 3. So... There's, there's some kind of coincidence there, but, um, but it really is a good place for us to start um, with the first sin, because that really is what Lent is about. Lent is about us confronting our sin, confronting our temptation to be something less than we were created to be. So that when we come to Easter and when we walk through these 40 days uh, plus Sundays of, of confronting our sins, when we come to Easter and we meet on that Sunday morning, we meet a resurrected Christ, we realize in that resurrection the fullness of what God has in store for us. Amen? So in Lent, we confront our sin so that we can be resurrected with Jesus on Easter, so that we can be a new creation. So we start with confronting the first sin, with the story of, of Adam and Eve. And I'm not going to be referencing the passage specifically just a whole lot. We're, we're all pretty familiar with it. We've heard it probably a million times. And in fact, I think even counting the story of Jesus, the story, the story of Adam and Eve kind of eating from the, the tree of knowledge here, it's probably the most well-known Bible story in the world, right? Everybody has heard this story. 
Um, different, different entertainment in multiple cultures have used this story as backdrops to, to other things. Uh, it's, of course, was the very first flannel graph ever, ever made was, you know, Adam and Eve with the, with the apple, um, which blows my mind that we think it's an apple because we're still eating apples. If it was an apple, then why are we still eating apples? <laughs> but probably everyone that we will ever meet is familiar with this story that Adam and, Adam and Eve eat of the apple, you know. God builds this garden for Adam and Eve. They have everything that they could ever need and want. They own the world. It's just them two. They are the, the, Kevin McNabb this morning pointed out, they were the richest people of all time because they had ownership over everything, over all of, all of creation. So they have everything they could ever need or want. And in the center of this garden, or depending on who you ask, uh, in, maybe even in the corner, God puts this tree and he gives them specific instructions not to eat from this tree. And of course, there's one snake and two bites of an apple later, and humans are doomed to be sinful for the rest of their days. God said not to, they did it, and this was the outcome. And I wish that knowing what sin was, was that easy. I wish that there was just this simple list of these are the things that we're supposed to do, these are the things that we're not supposed to do, um, and as long as you stay on this list that you're supposed to do and you stay off this list of things you're not supposed to do, you're all good. But sadly, I don't think that that's how it really works. And the authors that, that wrote this passage thousands and thousands of years ago, when you look at it in their original language, when you look at it in the time that they were writing it, they weren't trying to communicate that sin was that straightforward. This story, these, very, these few verses, there's so much more in this story than just God said it, so don't do it. This is a heartbreaking story. And it's a story that has been played out over and over and over again. We see the, the Genesis story where they, where they take, the, uh, take the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a mouthful. Um, I'm just going to call it apple from here on out, and you all just know what I mean. <laughs> but we see that same kind of temptation all throughout the Old Testament. Paul talks about it in the New Testament, and we see it play out even through our own lives. That humanity, that we ourselves turn away from the story that God has for us. And so my hope for us is that as we look at the beginning of this kind of condition, this sinful condition... I hope that we're able to identify in our own lives this morning, here, here at the beginning of Lent, Lent, leading up to Easter, I hope that we can identify where we are turning away from God and where we are turning away from what He has in store for us. So that's what we're going to do. And I think the best way for us to start this morning, if we're going to talk about Lent, if we're going to talk about confronting sin, we have to fully understand the definition that Genesis 2 and 3 gives us for this sin. So we have to ask ourselves the question, if, we're, if Lent is all about confronting sin, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is sin? What is sin? Now we have a small group that meets on Sunday afternoons. We're, we're talking about this question this afternoon. I told them I was going to be preaching on it so that I could get all my thoughts in uninterrupted before, <laughs> before we moved into our small group. Y'all were supposed to laugh at that, but that's fine. It's okay, it's okay, it's fine. They laughed. <laughs> You know, when, uh, when reading this, this, these first two, or this second and third chapter of Genesis, 
the one question, and we've read it so much we're probably super used to it, so I don't know that we're, we're, we actually approach it this way anymore. But if you're really just to approach it with a, fresh, with a fresh view, the one question that keeps popping in my head over and over and over again is why? Why? You know, I, I don't know about y'all, but the, the heading in my Bible under chap, over chapter 2 says, Another Account of Creation. Uh, y'all may say the same. That was the one that you know, was in the NRSV. And so uh, this, it's a totally different topic we're not going to talk about today, but why? why? Why is this another account? Are there two kind of creation stories? What, what does that mean? Why? And then the serpent, the snake talks, which I don't know if y'all know this, but snakes don't usually talk. So why? Why is the, why is the snake talking? And then God apparently, and, and this, this has always kind of bothered me, but God kind of tells a lie to Adam and Eve here. He tells them that if you eat uh, of the tree of good and evil, that you will surely die this day. That's what the NRSV said. You will surely die this day. But they eat it, and they don't die. So it kind of seems like God was fibbing a little bit. Like, why did God, God do that? But maybe the biggest why question that I have in this entire story is that God makes this huge garden for them to live in. It has everything that they could ever need, everything that they could ever want. And in the middle of that garden, there in verses 16 and 17, he decides to put this tree there. And then he tells them, don't eat from that tree. Why did he put the tree there? If he didn't want them eating it from it, why did he put the tree there? And even if he was going to put it there, why didn't he put it, why did he put it in the middle of the garden? Why didn't he kind of put it in the very back? Like, let's say the tree had to be in that garden for some reason. Why didn't he put it in the back behind some, some bushes and some thorns so that they couldn't get to it? And then why draw their attention to it? He kind of goes out of their way, goes out of his way to say, hey, this tree, you know, this beautiful tree in the middle here, yeah, don't eat from that one. And I don't know if y'all have ever met a junior high boy, but when you tell them not to do something, they're immediately going to do it. And Adam and Eve are around like a week old at this point. <laughs> and so they're probably pretty junior high boyish. When, and they're going to go straight to that tree in the, in the middle of the garden. So why did God even put it there in, in the first place? Why did he even plant that tree? And I wish I could tell you that I have the answer to this question. But we aren't told. The, the Genesis story, it doesn't tell us why, uh, why that tree was there. And I think it would be really easy for me to say and, and I've heard this before, and I've even thought it, and I'm still kind of there. But it'd be really easy for us to say, well, the, the, God putting the tree there uh, proves that God gives us free will. You know, he, he put that tree there to give them the choice to disobey if they, if they really, really wanted to. But that, that logic feels weird to me. And, and, and that's not what the passage says. Um, the, the passage doesn't give us any kind of explanation whatsoever of, of why this tree is here. And and so there's so many questions around why is this here and, and what's going on, but, but here's what we do know. So we have this long list of things, and there's a million other things that you could read down through, and, uh, through there. Like, why take a rib out, you know, when he creates Eve, why take a rib out of... I could go through my questions, but we'd be here all day. Uh, if we go to uh, chapter 1, it gets even worse. But, so there's a ton of things that we don't know, but here's what we do know. Adam and Eve were created from dirt. They were created from, from nothing. They were created just from, from the dust. And they were formed into the image of God. 
from the dirt, they were formed into the divine image of God. And then God gave them everything that they would ever need to live the full life that He had for them. They had everything. Everything they could ever imagine was was sitting in front of them. And all they had to do, the one thing they had to do, was trust that what God had in store for them was enough. They had to trust that when God created them from nothing, when God created them from the, the dirt, He only had what was best for them in mind. And what the snake does, what the serpent does, is it kind of sneaks, and it's, it's not slithering, because it probably still has legs, if you keep reading, uh, the legs get taken away. But the, the snake sneaks over to Eve in the garden, and what the snake does is convinces them that there's more out there than what God has for them. He, he, the snake convinces Adam and Eve that what God has given them, that isn't enough. That they can do better than what God has for them. And so with the prodding of this snake, with the prodding of this, this beast who was not created in the image of God, Adam and Eve, they, they fall into this temptation. They lose their trust in the story that God has for them. And instead, they, they decide that they are going to reach out and they're going to take that fruit and they're going to take for themselves exactly what they desire. Man, I think that's a, that's a powerful definition of sin, even, even in our own lives. Sin is when we fall into our desires to have more than God has already given us. Usually when I... In the past, when I've tried to define what sin is, I and mean, it's, it's such a big question, I've, I've said that it can be summed up in one word. And if you went through my Nazarene, my Church of the Nazarene class several years ago, uh, you probably heard me say this, that it can be summed up in one word, it can be summed up in selfishness, that that's what sin is. It's putting our own wants or needs or desires above what God has or above the needs and wants of others. Or even putting our own wants uh, over what, our own, what we actually need. I think that could be a sin as well, when we put something that we really want above what we actually need. And I think that this, this sentence here is just another way of saying that, maybe in a little more uh, clear way. Because our instinct, our animal instinct, is to reach out and grab the thing that we most want, right? It's this instinct of, of beasts. You want it? Go get it. I want it, and I want it right now, and I don't want to wait for it. So I've got Amazon overnight shipping. It's going to be on my front door tomorrow morning, and it's going to be fine. I'm going to have that brand-new thermometer for my grill tomorrow morning. <clears throat> and that's, exa- that's, that's that animal, that beastly instinct. You want it, go get it. I want it right now. That's what greed is. That's what envy is. That's what lust is. It's taking something just because we want it. Even, I think, violence can be grabbing what we think will be a peace after we hurt somebody else. But we were created in the image of God to look at what is in front of us right now, to look at those desires, to look at those instincts, and to instead of taking those and grabbing those, to trust that God has more than we could ever imagine in store for us. See, in the story of Adam and Eve... The snake invites us 
to become animals, to become beasts. I want it, I go get it. But God invites us to become divine. And the choice that that we make in the garden, the choice that Adam and Eve make in the garden is, who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the beast? Are we going to listen to God who made us in his image? Now, you're probably wondering, as I was at this point when I was writing this sermon, um, what in the world does this have to do with Lent? You know, when I hear Lent, I'll tell you exactly what I think about. Lent is all about fasting. You know, everybody always gives up social media for Lent until the next week, and then they're back on Facebook. Um, <clears throat> you know, and then I think of giving up social media and then fish on Fridays, right? That's, that's kind of the two things that, that I always think about uh, when we talk about Lent. Give up social media, eat fish on Fridays. And it kind of is those things, but not really. Um, the 40 days of Lent is to remind us of our sin. It reminds us that, yes, we are sinful, but God has more in store for us. This is the reason that the early Christians, when they kind of begin practicing Lent, this is the reason that the early Christians begin fasting um, leading up to Easter. They were fasting, and get this, and if you're taking notes, I don't have it up there, but write this down. They were fasting to remind themselves that their desires don't control them. That their desires and their instincts don't control them. They were reminding themselves that they weren't created to be animals. That we aren't created to be beasts that follow our our every want and our desires and our instincts. But instead, we were created from dust in the image of the divine. So for Lent, we fast. We take something of the flesh that we really desire, that we really want. And it, it could be anything from social media, from an entertainment, maybe from something like that's, that's causing you a convenience that you really kind of need, need to get rid of. It probably should be Amazon shopping for me. Um, but it's something of the flesh that we really desire that means a lot to us. Like, don't say, you know, every two weeks I have to go to the post office, and I hate going to the post office, so I'm giving that up for Lent. Um, but it's something that you're really going to miss, something that means a lot to you. And we take that out of our lives to remind us that our sinfulness and our desires Those aren't the things that control us. But we have a bigger hope. We have a bigger trust in what God has in store. You know, I was a a little uncomfortable when I opened up and saw I was talking about sin because I'm I'm really hesitant when I use the word sinful. Um, We talked about in our, our Bible study last Wednesday night that The church has kind of sometimes been responsible for people feeling this sense of guilt and shame in the past. And in fact, I know a lot of people, and you probably know some as well, that have been really hurt by the church because it impressed on them a feeling of, of shame. And, and that happens because sometimes we take the words of Paul in Romans that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and we can harp on that too much, and we forget to preach uh, what comes just after that verse, which is that there is grace and there is love from God first. 
But when people come into church, sometimes instead of hearing a message from, of hope, sometimes they can leave feeling like they're a really bad person. Uh, I think we've probably all, all been there before. We've left a service and just kind of felt, man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person. And so I, I want to point out very quickly here that this, this passage of sin, this isn't what defines Adam and Eve. It's important to remember that what defines them is the way they were created. They are defined by being created in the image of God. And what, what does God say when He creates the heavens and the earth, when He, can, when he creates... Uh, the, the beasts of the air and the sea, when he creates humanity, he looks down and he says what? It is good. It is a good creation. And we're still shaped in that image. Sinfulness doesn't define us. God defines us. But there's a place, there's a place in church and in life to remind ourselves that we were created for a purpose that we just aren't living up to. No matter who you are this morning, and I, I fall into this category myself, I know you can think of a moment in the last day or in the last week where you let that desire for more guide your actions, right? Where you let greed or envy or lust or violence guide your actions. And that doesn't mean that we're bad people, right? That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. But it does mean that God has more in store for us than we're currently experiencing. What we're currently experiencing in this world right now, God has more. Amen? So what I want us to do in, in just a second... Um, we're going to take communion. But before that, I would invite all of us here this morning to confront our sin. To confess. Where is it in your life where you're being tempted to grab for yourself something other than what God has in store for you? Where are we listening to the snake instead of trusting God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All it takes is to confess. And I think here, before we take communion, uh, before we take communion and, and partake in the, the body and blood of Christ, this is probably one of the most important times as a Christian to confess your sins to God. To confess your shortcomings. I also think as we prepare that it would be a good, a good time for us to think about how we're getting ready for Easter. What could you give up? What could you give up that, that would remind you that you are called to something bigger than just desire? So we're going to take a moment in prayer and in silence. And if the ushers would come forward, we're going to examine our lives and our relationship with God. And I hope that in our prayer, 
we can confess where we fall short and begin, begin preparing ourselves for Easter. I'll pray, and then y'all can pass those out. Dear God, may we all, at this very moment, feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, may we feel that presence tugging and, and guiding us. God, maybe putting a finger on where we've been coming up short. God, may we look around at this community, at all that we have, God, everything that you've given us. God, may we trust that you are enough. And yes, God, we can, we can grab, we can lunge for, for that apple. We can lunge for, for selfishness and, and reach and grasp for desire. God, may we recognize that that's coming up short. Lord, as we prepare to take communion, one of your only direct commandments from Jesus that we find in, in Scripture, God, may your grace be present in it. We believe wholeheartedly that you work through this time of communion. God, we thank you so much for who you are, who you've been. God, and we thank you, we thank you for what you're going to do over these next 40 days. Lord, as we, as we look forward to Easter and your resurrection, we look forward to your work. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. If y'all wouldn't mind, pass those out. Well, they are passing those out. While we focused on our sin today, Lent is just as much of a reminder that something better is coming. As we have focused on where we fall short, I think that this moment in taking communion, I think it can be an invitation for us to walk the road towards the cross. And we know where that road is leading, right? We know where our sins take us. We know what, what taking what we want, no matter the cost, we know where it goes. Our taking from the fruit, from the tree of good and evil, it leads to death. It leads to emptiness. It leads to the cross. But on our way to that cross we remember that there's someone there with us. We remember that Jesus has come. That Christ has come to take that burden, to take our sins and to take our shortcomings upon himself and to show us that 
there is another way. As we wait for the elements to be passed out, let's just in silence think of the heaviness of that. (laughs) Of the heaviness of our sin that's lifted by Jesus on the cross. Has everybody had an opportunity to be served? <clears throat> These packets are a little tough. Um, the, the clear part comes up to reveal the bread. And then the, the rest of it is taking the juice. Hold on just a second. We'll take it together. You know, it was, it was for us that his body was broken and his blood was shed. It was for us that he, he gave us that opportunity to, to fully live into what, what God has in store. And I hope that as we, as we take this bread and, and this juice, the, the body that was broken for us and the, the blood that was shed for us, I hope that we can be reminded that there's more to our story than we could ever imagine. And just as a reminder, um, we don't require anyone to be a member of our church to participate in communion with us. I would just ask you of of one thing, just one thing, is that if if you're going to participate this morning, I hope that you are truly seeking Christ and you're truly seeking God's plan for your life. Let's take the bread and break it take Christ's body.